0: I remember a heat with Owen Wright uh, at Australian titles, and, and for me, him as a kid, he could have been on the tour at 17, no drama. Like, he was so far above everyone else uh, in our divisions, and I was the same age as him. And I'm looking at this young man, that guy, he's on another planet.
1: G'day, this is Living the Dream, a podcast from Gage Rhodes where you'll hear from people who are all about going after what they love. We'll chat to photographers, musos, surfers, designers, a range of people who are living life their way. And this episode, one of Australia's top surfing coaches, Stace Galbraith grew up on the Goldie and was pretty much always in the water with his mates. But instead of heading down the path of comp athlete, Stace found his groove as a judge and later a coach. The story on getting there is pretty interesting. And while surf coach is a tag that still sits a bit weird with him, He's certainly at the top of his game, nominated as one of surfing's best coaches this year in the Oz Surfing Awards. Stace, g'day.
0: Morning, mate. Or is it afternoon for you over there, Jamie? How are
1: you? Yeah, we're still kicking in, in morning. I was just saying to you before, I've actually locked myself in my office, in my house. I have no door handle. I closed it behind me and I can't get out. So this might be a long chat, Stace.
0: <laughs> Perfect. I uh, could talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles, so that'll <laughs> go down just fine.
1: Love it. Hey, um... How does that job title of coach sit with you? Does it still feel a bit weird?
0: Yeah, I've gone on record a thousand times, I think, as saying uh, I I hate it. But as I've gotten a bit older, actually, I've started to embrace it a bit more. I think probably when I was a bit younger, I definitely didn't feel that uh, that word was sort of, you know, I didn't want to be attached to the word coach because it was such like a football style of thing. But as surfing's got a lot more professional in the last you know, decade and, and things like that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm learning to, to live with it. I don't hate it as much as I used to.
1: It's interesting because from the outside a lot of people would look at surfing like that, a real individual sport, but how has that progressed over the last you know, decade or so with people having teams and coaches and all those people around them like you'd find in any other sport?
0: It, it's really funny actually the last decade in surfing in my world has gone through a few different phases. Um, You know, the the main phase for me was one that enabled me to actually have a job as a quote unquote coach. Like, you know, the the prior five years to that, that that was sort of, or 10 years was sort of ridiculous, you know, maybe Mick Fanning uh, sort of pioneered it. And other than that, that wasn't really sort of happening, particularly on like the qualifying series where, you know, there's not a lot of money. There's not a lot of support. For someone to have a full-time coach was just unheard of. So it's definitely, um, you know, that's changed a lot. And, and what happened with that is it became a lot more individualized, which sounds funny to say about surfing because it's such an individual uh, sport or, and pursuit. But, um, you know, winding back the clock further, it was all the packs, you know, the Hawaiians travelled together, the Americans, East and West Coast travelled together, the Aussies travelled together. Then it kind of came into when, you know, myself and my mates were getting into the pro side of things and it would just be you and your filmer or you and your coach or you and your partner. But now um, I think with everything that's going on in the world, it's going back to kind of that, a bit more of, okay, let's all book the same rental car. Let's all book the same accommodation. And it's coming back to more that team vibe again, which, you know, from afar observing that, it actually looks really good. It's good to see all the the the, the women and the men, uh, you know, recently in Portugal, there was an event and they're all down there supporting each other. And, you know, it was maybe by design that had to be the way, but it, I think it looks really good.
1: Yeah. Is it always a difficult one to flick the switch though, between that, team vibe we're all together we're all helping each other out to then all up against each other now
0: it definitely is uh and even more so when you're in i think uh i guess my position which was i wasn't even competing I, i was just there you know helping someone compete so you could still once the heats had finished have a beer with another competitor or a friend from another country or something like that so for me it wasn't I never found it too big of a problem, even though I don't think in any other sports you'd see a coach hanging out with another person from another team. But surfing just never really felt like that and and still doesn't. But as surfers, for sure, you you, you rarely see the same two travel partners end up in the final together. They're always battling. One gets a good result here, another gets a good result there, and they'll to and fro throughout the year and managing that, especially as young, young blokes or you know, young women, that can be hard. That can be really hard to juggle.
1: I remember having a chat to Chad Jackson a few months ago, and this was bodyboarding and not surfing, but he was saying for him the moment he realised he didn't want to be in the comp scene was when he had to go really hard against a mate, not let him have a wave for him to take out the comp, and he just felt horrible even you know, going up to collect his trophy after the event and you know even though that night those two guys were fine but he goes that was the moment for me uh serious competitions uh for me i'd rather be mates with the guy It was just a really interesting kind of insight into into someone's mindset when they actually won their first comp
0: yeah uh, on that i listened to that podcast it was what a phenomenal story uh and hearing that little bit of it was pretty funny because that's my local beach where he had the had his big win and yeah uh, the crew he crew he was hanging with um the Harrington twins, you know, I still see them every day, and so that that was cool. That story took so many different angles, but then when it wound up there, I kind of felt felt pretty cool to hear hear that. Like I said, personally, I, I was never competing at that level, but I, I'd observed a lot of it, and you you see it. It's it's difficult, man, and even coming down to, I think you go to places and someone you don't see it so much going for world titles because a very small percentage of people that are going for world titles but trying to qualify for the tour plenty of mates are trying to edge out that final position when it comes down to hawaii and things like that over the years and yeah uh, like i said as a, as a young athlete um that's one of the big big things you've got to learn to to manage and uh, and deal with
1: so I want to get back to kind of when you are a bit younger and the blokes that you grew up surfing with and how you got into, you know, not only coaching but judging and things like that as well. But you're one of the country's top surfing coaches. You are nominated this year as Coach of the Year in the Aussie Surfing Awards. What do you you love about your gig?
0: Uh, What I love about it is that even when things don't go to plan, your heart's still beating out of your chest. You obviously go down to every event to win, but even a shit day at the office for me and other experiences I've had in other jobs, it still trumps them every, every day of the week. So yeah, that's that, yeah, definitely what I love about it.
1: And you started pretty young coaching as well. Was that intimidating early trying to give advice to blokes that you probably idolized from the beach or you maybe grew up surfing with yourself?
0: Um when you put it like that, it definitely <laughs> should have been, <laughs> but thinking back to it, you know, um, I struggled a lot uh, earlier in my life, being a judge and evaluating people's performances, knowing that I was not one tenth as good as what they were, or if given the same opportunity would absolutely crumble under the pressure or, you know, things like that. But, one thing I learned from judging and, and, and being in that position where, you know, I had those trains of thoughts running through my head was that everyone's got a position. And if you understand your role clearly and you do your job to the best of your ability, well then ultimately that's why we're all doing our different things. So 100% there was moments where I'm going, like, I can't believe I'm telling this guy where to sit in the lineup, but, if that's what the person's got you there for and, and they, they feel that extra support and they get a good value out of it, well, then you've got to do your job. So they're not paying you there to, to bite your tongue.
1: Yeah, so knowing what you're there for and just staying true to that.
0: Yeah, 100%, which no doubt have wavered plenty of times from that. But if you bring yourself back to that, uh, I think that, yeah, ultimately, uh, like we spoke about earlier, you're a part of a small team environment usually. And it's for the you're doing it for the greater good of of that you know your your goals and and usually it's you know qualifying or winning an event or anything like that so yeah but for sure I remember judging as a kid I remember a, a heat with Owen Wright uh, at Australian titles and and for me you know anyone that doesn't know too much about Owen or whatever but him as a kid he, he could have been on the tour at seventeen no drama like he was so far above everyone else uh, in our divisions and I was the same age as him. And I'm looking at this going, man, that guy, he's on another planet. How can I even say that that's a five or a 10? Like, who am I to call that? That's next level. So, yeah, definitely took a bit of getting used to.
1: Just on the judging, how did you find yourself in that world at such a young age? It
0: was probably, or not probably, definitely the the worst surfer in the group uh, of, <laughs> of my of my friendship circle. And I had an opportunity one year to judge the, uh, like the regional titles at North Stradbroke Island. And it was just like a cool opportunity to go away with the team. So I took it with both hands. Uh, And I think, you know, ultimately growing up around such quality on the Gold Coast, you know, any random day at D-Bar or Snapper is like a world tour event with how many good guys are out there. I had a fairly decent eye for, you know, what was good and what was bad surfing. So judging kind of came pretty naturally to me and it sort of went from there.
1: What did your mates think about it when that started to become more of a thing and you progressed up the ranks? Is it, is it viewed as the dark side at all from your mates who are surfing or is it, is it respected?
0: I think I've done that many jobs in the surf industry that I've bounced around every dark side possible. So one of those sides <laughs> has got to be the light side. <laughs> I'm not sure that it's judging. But uh, for sure, I remember at one event, <laughs> Davey Caffels came up to me, young hotshot at the time, and he goes, what are you doing here? I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm judging. He just laughed in my face. Oh, mate. I can't believe you'd come all this way to judge a comp. And I'm like, Oh, cheers, bro. Like, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely, um, definitely, uh, yes, we got to, I got some weird looks for sure.
1: Sometimes you just have to not care what other people think. Right. And you're there because oh, you want I- to be there and you think it's a great opportunity. So why not? And if someone's going to laugh at you, then good luck
0: hundred percent. And for me, there was, um, you know, there was some financial implications there at a young age, which sounds a bit far fetched to talk about, even though I was so young, but it, it was the truth. Like I, I looked at, like I said, came from a really hot group of surfers out of the Gold Coast and sort of looked at myself and looked at where they were going and then went, well, I can get paid a fairly decent wage to be, you know, in the sports admin side of things and still going to all these events. I'm going to go there once in my life. Otherwise, like, you know, that's the great thing about surfing is that it gets to take you all around the world. And, and um, yeah, so absolutely. I tried to make the most of it.
1: So that was, that was the desire. You, you were pretty honest with yourself about your ability. You're probably playing it down a little bit too, but um, you wanted to be involved in the industry. You wanted to go around the world with it. And if you could make, you know, a few bucks along the way, then, then that was the, that was the goal
0: definitely yeah I think um like it was a trifecta trifecta, really I was getting paid I was getting to hang out with my mates and I was getting to experience uh you know different places which was something that my mum traveled a lot with me when we were younger and I think that was something that just kind of stuck with me and yeah like I said man there's there's places that I've been to that I would have never gone to otherwise as a kid around the country if I hadn't said yes to these judging gigs and if ever I'd have gotten my own head about it and been like, oh, judging's not cool or whatever, I, you know, I would have never seen those places. So yeah, I'm stoked I took those opportunities.
1: Yeah. Hey, you said that you've got a pretty good eye for, for good surfing and maybe not so good surfing or maybe good surfing and great surfing. What, what is it that you see when you're watching a comp that someone like me probably doesn't, definitely doesn't?
0: Um, I, I will say one thing that you don't get. Uh, through the screen and that's sort of depth of field and, and speed. So, you know, this is a plug to surfing. If you're ever near an event, go down and check it out live. It, it really is, that's where you do notice the difference. Um, the, the very, very best, um, and this is across generations, they are going that much faster. The speed of their craft is, it really is next level. But, you know, through, through a TV, I think um, one thing that stands out is, the best they just don't make mistakes they're just they're so professional so yeah there's a, there's a big difference on the men's and women's tour between say the top five and the rest and it's that you know the top of the top they have the ability to just perform to their best so consistently
1: is there a moment that stands out for you as that was the best surfing i ever saw with my own eyes there's probably a few I'm that sure. are all right up there with i'm it, sure right?
0: that i'm sure there are moments and i think the the great thing about surfing and you know, listening to Chad's chat with you, it's very similar to bodyboarding in that some of the best moments, uh, of course, they happen outside of competition or, or there's potential for it anyway. So I think, um, you know, some of the best things I've seen have probably been outside of Jersey and they've probably been, you know, there's a lot of hero worship in surfing and, and in bodyboarding, I think, in these little subcultures and there's definitely been times where I've seen a certain surfer at a certain break and gone, wow, I used to see that in the video. And then I just was down there and I got to see it live. So yeah, there's been a few moments like that, but now that I think about it, probably watching Mick Fanning win J-Bay um, after the shark attack year, that was definitely a, a chicken skin kind of moment because, you know, he sort of displayed a level of mental resilience that I don't think the sport had really seen since then. That was some pretty next level shit.
1: Yeah. That's, that's more than just the skill and being able to do it right. The, the mental toughness to be able to back up after an incident like that. That's just crazy.
0: Yeah. And I think he had a broken foot as well. I can't remember, but he was really heavily strapped up and it was just like, this guy's such a gladiator.
1: Of course he had a broken foot. Like why not just throw that in as well? Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, just this guy cannot be stopped. You know, uh, beat John John in the final, and it's just you know, the fairy tale was complete after that. And you know, what a fairy tale it was.
1: Yeah. Um, just touching on the mental side of it, is that something that you work on with the surfers that you coach?
0: Not as much as what I would like to. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think it's a space that. Um, I think as a coach you probably give more support to than you realize. Um, just because you're the one constant in the athletes kind of routine. So, um, you know, I think a lot of my best work probably just gets done at the dinner table, not necessarily on the beach. Um, and it, it might be because I can just chew the fat pretty easily and have a yarn and just, just a bit of a distraction, you know. Um, I, I'm definitely confident in in my abilities to, you know, um, assess equipment and conditions and what might score on any given day. But you're only in that zone for an hour of the day training and then a half an hour heat. Um, The the rest of your time is spent with crew on the road, in cars, in and out of airports that, you know, different countries across the world, not speaking the language. So to have someone there um, as a constant like that, I think, that plays more to that mental side. So yeah, it's something that I'm I'm definitely interested in to dig a little deeper and I'm pretty lucky. I've got some good sort of support for myself um, in that field that I can then kind of drip feed information onto other crew and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm no, I'm no, uh, excuse me, no way am I a sports psychologist, but I I certainly have a lot of respect for that, for that space.
1: There's something in just making people feel comfortable, right. And and being able Mm. to pass on things, just through, like you said, at the dinner table, in the back of a van on the way to somewhere without it making it feel like it's that?
0: For sure. And I think I've picked up a lot of my work uh, and still do to this day. Crew want to travel without mum and dad. Uh, And I I was lucky enough that, um, you know, even though I was a lot younger than a lot of my colleagues, uh, still am, um, there's just that comfortability there where it's not... uh, You know, there's nothing worse than coming out from a heat and having your mum say, oh, you did really good (laughs) when you just had a shocker, you know?
1: (laughs) It's okay. Kiss on the cheek. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're still my favourite. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I I should be.
1: (laughs) Uh, So who are you working with at the moment? And has that kind of changed over the years? Did it start that you were working with a lot of the blokes that you grew up with and surfed with? And has it evolved from there?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, at the moment, um, the, the tour has been kind of, you know, in a, in a pretty unique place. I think the sport did a great job to get a year done and crown, crown a world champion. Uh, but for me at the moment, I'm not working with anyone uh, on the tour in Australia. But when the tour comes back to Australia next year, um, there's likely a few people that I'll be working with. And um, I've had some... some um, clients from, you know, I guess if you could call them that, you know, New Zealand, South Africa, Hawaii, uh, Aussies, of course. Um, but yeah, probably the the, the the number one person that I've been working with the most it would be Malia Manuel. She's from Hawaii. So she actually, um, I think this might be breaking news here on the Gage Roads podcast, but she just got the injury wildcard for next year, uh, which was uh, good news for her because she finished just outside the cutoff. Um, and... Yeah, they don't give out those wild cards too easily. So I was stoked to see that she got um, awarded with that because, I, you know, obviously I'm a coach, I'm a bit biased, but I think she's well to a quality. And for someone of her age to go back onto the qualifying series, I think would have been a big shock to the system. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked for her.
1: What was her reaction when the news filtered through?
0: Oh, I think just relief because there was a few really good applications. You know who they are, you know who's going for it. And in uh, recent years, the Surfing World Tour has changed their uh, wild card allocations from being an injury wild card to just a straight up wild card. So you know you can have a broken leg; that's definitely worthy of an application. But it's no guarantee that you're going to get a spot just because you're injured. So they kind of are looking at people, which was perfect for Malia because she actually wasn't injured, but she was the person to finish just the next um, next number out, um, by a really narrow margin. So, you know, there's definitely some sort of sympathy points there, I think for her, uh, but also her talent level, uh, she finished second in the last event of the year. Uh, and if she had won that event, she would have requalified. So there was a a good storyline there for her. And I think that, you know, like I said, I'm probably being a bit biased, but I think her, her, her level of surfing really suits the tour. Um, and yeah, going back on the QS, no one wants to do that.
1: Yeah, it's awesome news. Um, so what is it that you try and work on the most or is it really individual with with who you're working with? What are the areas that you you really like to dig into and, and cross off?
0: Um, yeah, it's definitely individual. Um, I'm, you know, a product of my environment. So everyone on the Gold Coast has got a pretty good style and, and really good technique. I think the Gold Coast, without sort of, blowing too much smoke up its ass. It definitely bred a lot of good surfers over the years that, that just look good on a wave. So that's something that I'm, I'm pretty interested in. So that comes back to technique. But, you know, when you're sitting down with crew and, and they, you know, they're engaging you to, to help them out, if, if technique and style isn't something they're interested in, then, you know, there's plenty of other areas to work on. So, yeah, it really just depends on who it is. But also, I think that like a style of competitor, like how do you want to compete? and then trying to bring that onto, onto the playing field, which can be difficult because there's not many times you get to kind of practice that other than the real, the real deal. So yeah, there's, it's, uh, it's a tricky sport. I think it's a tricky sport to coach.
1: How much can you tinker with that style? That is something and that technique, which is something that you've just grown up doing. You know, there's a lot of hours that have gone into having a surfer surf the way they do probably by the time they get to you.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's a great question and, and something that I'm probably guilty of. Maybe, you know, you wouldn't really change a pro uh, golfer swing. And so I'm, I'm careful not to fuck with that too much, but some things are non-negotiable in surfing. I think if you want to, you know, extract the most out of your opportunities. So that's where the technique comes into it. And I think if you've got good technique, you generally end up having good style.
1: So what's your advice then to those young surfers? who want to get better at thinking about competitions and, and you know maybe don't have the resources around them? How, how can they get to where they want to be?
0: I think the internet's a beautiful thing and I don't think there's an excuse anymore for not having the resources. I think you just have to be clever with how you use them. So um, I'd be looking online. I think a lot of people have access to a mobile phone these days with plenty of data for the groms out there. And i would just be breaking it down and and, and looking at the little details that your favorite surfer uh, does. Um, One thing for sure that goes unnoticed and I pretty much go blue in the face uh, explaining it sometimes to kids is bending the knees, you know, all the best pro surfers, they bend their knees. And it's the most rudimentary task you could do. And it's something that I think um, everyone's guilty of. You could always get a little bit lower. So yeah, that's just one tip, but there's plenty of them. Have you ever thought
1: as you've gone down the coaching side of things, advice you would have given yourself when you were younger?
0: Oh, I don't know about younger, but I do it daily now. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, the one thing for me when I was younger, I had a crazy uh, narrow stance when I was really like first learning surf. And then I overcompensated horrifically and had the wildest per man stance. And now I've gone back you know, after just getting hammered at high school, uh, about my style to now I'm completely back the other way where I kind of have both my feet on the deck grip. So yeah, I got to bend my knees. more. I need that advice on myself.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just got to listen to yourself back. Right. Um, yeah. What do you reckon the last, the impact of the last kind of 18 months has been, obviously it's been, you know, tough for everyone, but, but impact on the tour and, and, you know, just surfing as an industry in general, what are you seeing?
0: Well, I'll start with the positive stuff. The hardware sales have never been stronger in surfing. So um, whatever you need to go surfing, those industries have absolutely boomed. So that's a good thing. I think the participation rates have been massive uh, along the East Coast because it's one of the only things you could really do without getting in trouble. Um, so, you know, I think that's a, that's a really positive thing. And um, a lot a lot of people out there prior to that were probably struggling. So... I think it's cool to see people getting involved with it, Um, but on the professional side of things, uh, particularly for Australians, it's been really difficult. And I don't um, get a lot of sympathy when I try to tell those stories, because a lot of people would just say, oh, they're a pro surfer, they got the best life ever. For sure, they do. It's It's a great, great existence, but there's been extra hurdles this year that I think have weighed down a lot of people, especially that with young families. You know, you see people like Julian Wilson and Jack Freestone, just kind of pumping the brakes. They're saying, Hey, I'm taking six to 12 months off. Uh, I'm not retiring, um, but I'm just going to take it easy for a while and, you know, good on them. It'd be hard to, hard to say that. So, yeah.
1: Do you think you might see some people come back quite different or refreshed being able to, to maybe hit the brakes when otherwise they wouldn't because you just keep going and going and going?
0: I think it's really individual. Um, The realist in me says, uh, unfortunately not the time at the top does keep you really sharp. And when you step away from it, there is no substitute for the top of of any professional sport. Um, But, you know, that's only a small part of your life. If you needed a break to have a break and it's going to have a good effect on you for the rest of your life, then that's what you needed to do. You know, surfing comes second to family and, and your health and things like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. It's It's been really difficult. Um, you know, for someone like Bronte McCaller, who's from West Oz, um, she's had a, a few personal challenges this year that she's got to overcome. So I think a break for her is, you know, perfect timing. Like I'm stoked that she was able to have that conversation with herself and be like, nah, enough's enough. I'm putting the feet up for six months and just enjoying my time at home and, and hanging with the family. So I think someone in her position, uh, perfect timing and yeah, stoked to see her do that.
1: Yeah. Hey, you mentioned um, Jack Freestone just a second ago, but you spent a few years. You guys were, were obviously pretty close. 2014, I think you guys were um, bouncing around together. What was that journey like for you uh, as as a coach with him?
0: Oh, it was incredible. Uh, Jack's one of my closest friends, and, and we grew up surfing together. And, uh, yeah, he sort of approached uh, me and said, oh, you know, would you be interested in coming to a few events? And, of course, I said yes. Um, and I think the coolest thing about that was, you know, we didn't come out of the gates very strong at all, you know? And I, I, like, that's where I didn't consider myself a coach when we, you know, first got into it or whatever. I was just there supporting him and filming him and, and taking some notes on judging and things like that. But he pretty much came dead last in the first two comps. But there was still something there where we felt, comfortable enough around each other that he said, Hey, look, would you be keen to do the rest of the year? And I was so over the job that I was in. I was working in real estate on the Gold Coast and I was 23 trying to be 43 and it was perfect timing. So um, yeah, away we went and um, yeah, got to experience some, some pretty cool things together. So that was the, my journey or uh, well, my start of my journey into coaching and yeah, definitely oh uh, Jack, a few beers after that. I think you definitely got the, the kickstart for me.
1: He saved you from a life of home open Stace.
0: Oh, mate. I, I think um, I was ready to do anything else other than that <laughs> stage. And then when this opportunity popped up, it was like, are you kidding me? Am I, I need to wake up here. Is this is a dream.
1: I couldn't imagine you as, as the real estate agent. That's It's a very Gold Coast maybe career progression to take, isn't it, when you're trying to figure it, things it, out?
0: Yeah. Oh, it definitely is. I, I went straight out of school, straight into that. And um, it was perfect, mate. Honestly, it taught me how to be thick skinned and, and how to, um, how to deal with like, you know, a wide variety of people and obviously throw money involved. And it's, it's a, it's a tough gig. Um, but at the same time, I think they deserve a lot of the shit that they get. And I'll cop that on the <laughs> chin too. Uh,
1: how to navigate a few sharks in the water as well. might, have, might have worked <laughs> yeah, both ways. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely used some of those skills, um, just recently. So that felt, that felt nice to be able to do some sharking back.
1: Yeah, I bet. Hey, um, when did that flick switch? Because you said that when you were, you know, with Jack at that stage, you were out helping a mate. You didn't consider yourself a coach yet. When did when did that change? And in your head, you go, "Yeah, like this is something I can do. I'm qualified to do it, and I want to. I want to make it my job."
0: Uh, he had a pretty pretty strong year that year on the QS, uh, which is the the tour that you try to qualify under the tour to get, you know, onto the opportunity to win a world title. And he lost a heat in Hawaii that was like, you know, rip your heart out shit. You know, clock counting down, Jack in a progressing position. If he makes that heat and maybe one more, he'd be on. And, uh, you know, this wave's coming in and this is a location where the, the coach can actually sit in the water And so we're all in a pretty tight knit sort of, you know, the surfers are there, the coaches are there. And, you know, long story short, Jack loses on the buzzer to this guy. uh, Maxime needed a six, got a six one or whatever it was, you know, it was just heartbreaking shit. And it was at that point where I would just like had the kind of rush of blood moment where I'm like, just wanted this next season to start already. And, and, And he hadn't, we hadn't even spoken about next year yet, but I knew that, he had it in him. Absolutely. He had it in him. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I, um, you know, we let that event cool down. We got back to Australia. And I remember we were at D bar and I just sort of said the next steps to, to qualify. And um, Jack had a really good year the next year and finished second on the QS and sort of yeah, went on from there.
1: So you're that juiced, like you could, you could feel it yourself,
0: how invested you were. hundred percent. Like, I'll oh, oh, you know, and you have to be, if yeah. you're, if you're not, it's, it's not the the job for you. And I actually, one of the big Hawaiian heavies was on the jet ski. And, and I remember he looked at me and he didn't know me from a bar of soap and he didn't even know I was Jack's caddy or whatever, but he, he did know Jack and, and he, he just sort of said to the other guy on the ski, you know, if that shit doesn't break your heart, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> You know, and I, it was so nice to hear a big yeah. tough guy say that because it certainly was heartbreaking. You know, it was like, that was, that was a moment where it was like, oh, that stings, that stings for sure.
1: The, the toughest guy on the beach has almost got a tear in his eye. It makes you feel a little bit better, right?
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely uh, validated my feelings, that's for sure.
1: What about the early days for you? What got you into surfing? Was it the environment that you are in or was it the, the classic family thing?
0: Um, I think it was the environment that I was in. I grew up just me and mom on the, on the luckily enough, on the beach at Currumbin, which uh, if it was this day and age now, that would absolutely no chance in hell. Um, so yeah, pretty thankful back. for some nice um, fr- uh, landlords who've become friends over the years and, and looked after mum and myself and yeah, got me a surfboard because we lived on the beach and um, yeah, away we went. Do you
1: still remember that first board?
0: Still got it, mate. Still got it. Yeah, how good, Dave? Dave McDonald, star with a Bruce Irons-esque kind of red spray up the middle.
1: How good is that? I love that you've hung on to it and been able to, you know, yeah. keep it with you.
0: Yeah, I'm a low-key hoarder. I, I, <laughs> I uh, kept kept a few little <laughs> bits of memorabilia.
1: <laughs> oh, you're you're a dad now too, right? So are you, are you looking forward to the day maybe when your young one gets out on that?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's something that I think every every dad who's got an interest in some kind of sport sort of looks at their son, you know, are you going to be into it? Please, <laughs> so please be into it. He loves, yeah, he loves his swimming, um, which, is, which is great. He hates the sand, which is fine because so do I. I don't particularly like sand. <laughs> I'll, I'll wear shoes on the beach if I'm filming. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's cool to see. So I just hope he enjoys the ocean because I think, um, you know, as I've gotten a bit older, it's definitely – Um, something that keeps you on your toes, you know, Um, it's, uh, I think it's given a lot of us something to look forward to. It's, it's a pretty, it's a, you know, I never would have said this 10 years ago, but it's a, it's a pretty special place.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. So has your, your appreciation changed as the, I mean, you're still a really young guy, but you feel like you've squeezed a lot in, in that time. But has that appreciation for, for the ocean, for surfing, for what you do grown over the years?
0: hundred percent. Yeah. For sure, without a doubt. Probably from actually when I was pushing my partner into some waves a few years ago. That You know what, actually, that's probably the moment where I thought, I do know what I'm doing because we're just in this tiny little break. And even when the waves are 10 centimetres high, there's still the difference between a good one and a bad one. And I'm like you know, there's people learning to surf kind of 50 metres up in the cove from us at Kira and they're just riding whitewash to the rocks. And I was pushing Courtney into like these sick little one to 200 metres, just perfect peelers. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, actually, you know, like you're having a way better time than those people over there because I'm just, you know, nailing the wave selection right now, babe. You don't know how good you've got it.
1: <laughs> That's it. You almost had to go give them a day with those, with the other mob, just to realise, you know, what, she, what she's got on hand.
0: I 100% still need to do that because I still think she's taken those 200 meter peelers um, (laughs) for granted.
1: (laughs) The last thing she wants to hear though, is you to kind of keep going on about how good you are, how how good she's got it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm I'm definitely not the humblest of blokes. So uh, yeah, (laughs) she's definitely sick of hearing it.
1: Yeah. I'm with you on that too. Um, (laughs) Who who did you grow up? I know you mentioned a few, but who did you grow up surfing with?
0: Um, Like I mentioned earlier, full of plenty of talent. So uh, I joined Snapper when I was 10, which is the board writers here. Yeah. And it's probably one of the, you know, again, I'm blowing smoke up the Goldie's ass, but it's probably one of the strongest clubs in the <laughs> world. Um, You know, and, and the, even at like under 10s, you know, you're watching guys... Yeah, you know, I think that's why I got bashed into me at a pretty young age about where I sat in the pecking order um but yeah a good mate of mine Dan Pryor and um you know Jack was in that club he's was, he was a couple of years younger than me but um you know we we're all kind of in that same kind of group and um it was um yeah board riders in Australia is is so strong it's like I guess like you know it's just as big as nippers it feels like you know it's just such a such like a cult you know everyone's got their club and you go to go away to these team events and you see everyone firing on all cylinders and when we were growing up it seemed like snapper couldn't lose so yeah you know on that i I hope that the world catches up to australia in that sense because i'd love to see some world battles go down like i think brazil could have some amazing teams and Yeah. I think that'd be cool to see because ultimately affects the kids the most and it it gives them a a good understanding of how it all works. And yeah, it's pretty sick.
1: Is that, is that a uniquely Australian thing? Is it?
0: It really is, mate. It's actually embarrassing how uniquely Australian it is because surfing is such a global sport and, Other countries just have not managed to figure it out. There's been little bits and pieces of of certain areas showing glimpses of being able to set up and run a board riders, but they just, for some reason, it hasn't clicked. America in the last three years is slowly catching up. Um, And I remember all of us Aussies were kind of explaining to them, wait until you get started and you wait until the refraction clubs start up off the club. Yeah. So for instance, a wave like lower trestles in Southern California, it's like the most crowded wave in the world. So you'll start lower trestles board riders within three months, there'll be someone who doesn't like how the systems run and there'll be lower, lower trestles, a, or whatever. <laughs> Cause you know, where we are on the Goldie, there's Kira snapper and D bar and you can throw a net over all of them. Yeah, And they're all got, you know, plenty of members and stuff like that. So yeah, it really is uniquely Australian.
1: Um, who, who are you really excited to, to see surf when when things get up and going again? Have you got your eye on on anyone that you, you really just can't wait to, to see out there?
0: Yeah, young American guy, uh, Griffin Colapinto. Um, I've never coached him or anything like that, but I just think he's got a really, really good attitude. And um, I think dealing with your losses is something that is the hardest thing to do. And I think he's mastered that really well, which sounds <laughs> sounds a bit contradictory to him winning. But you know, anyone in the game knows you've got to you've got to learn to digest your your losses really well. And um, I think he's got that mastered, because no matter who you are, you always lose more than you win, and it's um it's good to see that. So I think it's going to turn around for him, and, and he'll he'll come good in the next couple of seasons, and hopefully be fighting for a, a world title.
1: Good lesson for life, right?
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. He just won the U S open the other day. And I remember he came second in 2018, I think. And, you know, just the heartbreak, you know, and I I wonder if he reflected back on that when he was holding up that trophy, you know, I reckon 2018 would feel like a lifetime ago now, but in that moment he he was, he looked like the most shattered person on earth.
1: I reckon you're a sucker for a story, Stace. You love a, a bit of a comeback, don't you?
0: I love a comeback. Bloody oath. I think we all do. It's, yeah. it's got
1: it's an Aussie thing, right? That's it. That's it. Maybe it's because we grew yeah. up watching Mighty Ducks or something like that. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hey Stace, thanks for um for, for peeling out and making some time for a chat. Really appreciate it. Um, oh mate, no drama. Yeah, all all the best when things open back out. Oh
0: uh, yeah, I, I can't wait, and hopefully I'll be over your way soon for a, a tin.
1: Yeah, can't wait. They're on ice. That's living the Dream by Gage Rhodes. Gage is an indie brewer just out of Frio in WA that's all about going after it and having an epic time with a few brews. Check them out at gageroads.com.au. Thanks again for having a listen. Subscribe so you don't miss an ep. Share it with your mates. Chuck us a rating. And get in touch if there's someone you want to hear from on the potty. I'm Jamie Burnett. Cheers.